Jonah chapter 4, and this morning we will be looking at the entire chapter. Uh, One of the saddest things about finishing a book is that you, uh, you know, I've spent months with Jonah and uh, just, just getting to know his mind and God's work in his life and seeing how um, in application, there's so many principles for me to glean from personally and uh, principles for us as believers in the church. And it's a sad day, but it's good. Uh, next week, we'll be moving on to the ordinary means of grace. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter two, and that's going to be a four part series. And then the year is almost over. We'll get ready for the Christmas season and then uh, the new year. So um, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, let's prepare our hearts to hear his word this morning. Father, we give you praise this morning and thanks. We thank you for your word, which you speak to us clearly. We thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself to us. Otherwise, we would in no way be able to comprehend you. And yet, Lord, you are, you're not like us. You're holy and unchanging. You're immutable and you're eternal. And we humble ourselves before you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We recognize that you rule over us, that we are created, you are the creator. And so we pray this morning, God, in light of our sinfulness, in light of our weaknesses, that you would speak to us through your spirit. We pray that you would awaken us to hear your word and to obey your word. And we pray, Lord, that if there be anyone here this morning who does not know you, that today would be the day of salvation for them. We love you, Jesus, and praise you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. This morning, we're looking at Jonah chapter 4, starting at verse 1, and we'll be going down to the end of the chapter in verse 11. Jonah chapter 4, starting at verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah and it, uh, excuse me, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that would attack the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose up and when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, 
You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came upon it, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I pity Nineveh, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than twelve, excuse me, one hundred and twenty thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This morning, as we conclude our time in the book of Jonah, there are so many things that I wish I would have said and could have said that, um, you know, what I was getting at earlier was that I wish that uh, I could re-preach this series. And, and the reality is, is that I, I don't know if I'll ever preach through Jonah again, right? Um, there's because there's other places that God has spoken and I want to get to them. But when we, when we think about the book of Jonah... I hope that we leave understanding several things. First, I hope we remember and see God's relentless pursuit in pursuing his people. God was relentless in pursuing Jonah. God was not going to give up in pursuing Jonah. And we see this displayed in his life and also in our own lives. Also, I hope we leave seeing how relentless God is to see his great name on display throughout the nations in the salvation of unbelievers. God desires to save sinners, and because salvation belongs to the Lord, he will distribute that salvation to sinners according to his will. And the Bible is clear that the means that salvation is ultimately accomplished is through the preaching of the gospel. You recall the apostles' words in Romans 10. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And there was a place in God's world, Nineveh, where God's name was not being glorified and exalted. So God sent his servant, Jonah, to preach the message of repentance so that God would be exalted in their conversion. And Jonah eventually preaches this message, though he does so reluctantly. And God does what Jonah suspected God would do. He saved the Ninevites. See, the Bible, and the book of Jonah in particular, is about God. It's about God being glorified. It's about God being exalted. It's about his name being worshipped and praised in any sphere of life that God has given us responsibility over. So at our workplace, we exalt the name of Jesus Christ. In our homes, we exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And whatever we do, whatever we drink, we do it all for the glory of God. It's all about God. And Jonah had other agendas. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh to preach this message. And yet God was relentless not only to pursue Jonah, but also to pursue unbelievers. Well, this morning, I want us to look at the aftermath of Jonah's preaching. In this section of scripture, Jonah, after preaching God's word, had a there I did it God attitude. In response... God had a what's your problem attitude. 
Well, the first thing we're going to look at, and the title of our sermon this morning is God's anger, excuse me, Jonah's anger, God's compassion. First, we're going to look at Jonah's anger, verses one through five, Jonah's anger toward God. Notice in verse one, it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. You say, well, what is he angry about? I mean, maybe he's angry that uh, someone double-crossed him or uh, someone didn't greet him on the road or uh, surely there's something within Jonah to feel justified to be angry toward the person he's angry with. And if you understand the context of this book, he's angry with God. He's displeased with God and he's exceedingly angry and he prays to God. You ever pray to God in your anger? You just imagine that, right? God, I'm angry with you. Now hear my prayer. I mean, you hear the irony in that. To to know that you're coming into the presence of a king and you demand not only that he listen, but that you just pour out your wrath on his throne. And this is what Jonah does. And yet God is compassionate toward Jonah. Now Jonah was familiar and would have been familiar with the book of Job. And Jonah remembered how the story of Job ended when Job had all his questions for God. And God took several chapters to explain to him how he wasn't there when God did so and so and everything. Jonah would have known that this is to no avail. His raging anger was not helping him think clearly. Jonah snapped. Jonah was losing his mind here. And we see this because he's not seeing God properly. He's not seeing the work of God. He's not willfully and desiring to do what God had called him to do. And so Jonah was determined to make his point. He was angry with God because what? Because God is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This is what he says in verse two. This is what he prays. He says, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? He was having a conversation with God. No, God, I'm not going to Nineveh. And he goes to Joppa or he goes to uh, the opposite direction. And we see that this is the, the, the kernel or this is the genesis of his frustration with God. And it's because God is merciful and compassionate. And Jonah didn't want God to be merciful and compassionate to those people. I mean, they don't deserve your compassion. They don't deserve your mercy. This is only for us, for our people. And so Jonah was determined to make his point. And what started off as anger in Jonah's heart led him to pray that God takes his own life. At the beginning of the book, Jonah started off on the wrong foot as he blatantly disobeyed God's word. And here at the end of the book, Jonah is begging God to take his life because God fulfilled his word. And there is an important lesson for us here to learn concerning our relationship to God's word. I don't know if maybe you've uttered these words or someone you know, I'm sure, has uttered these words, where you show them uh, a characteristic or uh, the attributes of God, and they say, I could never serve a God like that. That's not my God. And you say, well, but that's how God has revealed himself in the word. So if, if that's not your God, then what God do you serve? And this is a question that all of us have to ask ourselves when we're challenged by God's word. 
And this is what happened in Jonah's life. What our attitude is when God speaks to us through the word of God will be revealed to us and others by our actions. By our actions. In other words, if our hearts are not right before God, the Adam in us will rise up. And it will rise up in anger against God's word. And inwardly or outwardly, we will rebel against the Lord. And this is an evil that must be confessed before the Lord in our hearts. God is true. What he says is right. And if we're not understanding him clearly, then we have to go back and see him and say, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? If our hearts are bent toward doing God's will, then we will respond to his word in humility when he puts us in an uncomfortable situation. And so our prayer would sound like this. God, I don't know what you're doing. In fact, I don't even like what you're doing. But I know that I know that because I cannot comprehend your ways, I will humble myself before you. Forgive me and help me to do your will, regardless of how it makes me feel. And this should have been Jonah's prayer. But his sin caused him to miss the opportunity to have fellowship with God in time of suffering. Out of the abundance of his heart, Jonah's mouth spoke. And so we see that he's, he's angry with God, and in his anger, he's praying to God. And Jonah's prayer, which was given in anger, was yet another indication that his heart was not right before God. And this is the work that God is doing in all of us. He's changing us. He's sanctifying us. And if we think that there's any point in our walk with the Lord that we can hit cruise control, then God will shake us up. Right? God will shake us up. 2020 was a shakeup for the church. 2021 is a shakeup for the church. And when you shake the tree, those apples fall down. Right? And God will lose none of his people. But he's shaking his people up. And this is what he was doing in Jonah's life. He's shaking them up. Jonah, are you going to believe me? Are you going to obey me? Are you going to do what I say to do? Or are you going to have a better way, more innovative, to do it your own way? In his nature, God is compassionate to save the worst of sinners. Likewise, in his kindness, his patience is extended to those of us who ought to know better. And that is to say that if we leave this book thinking, Ted Jonah guy, what an idiot, what a clown, I can't believe him. You missed the point. Because you and I, brothers and sisters, at one time or another, either in the past or in the future, will be just like Jonah. Jonah was not dependent on the Lord. And if we are not dependent on the Lord, then as the disciples said, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Yes, it's us. And so all this was meant to remind Jonah of God's goodness, which should have led him to repentance. Romans 2, 4, or do you not, or excuse me, or do you presume on the riches and the kindness of, excuse me, riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Jonah wished death upon himself two times in our text. We'll look at those here in a moment. We see this in verse three. Therefore now, O Lord, please, please, God, I'm begging you, just take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. 
Jonah doesn't want to see the results of God's salvation. Or there, God, I did it. I, I, don't, I don't really care to see how your name is glorified in the changing of a nation. I just want to do what you called me to do, not willingly, but just take my life. This is the wrong attitude, Jonah. And we see this again in verse 8. He says, it is better for me to die than to live. Well, how, how is, I, I, I don't trust you, Jonah, right? How, how do you know what's better for you? And you're telling that to the God of all creation. God, I know you have a will. I know you have a plan, but I think it would be better for me to do this. And so we see God, uh, Jonah's anger. Well, secondly, we see, and there's so much here. Well, look at verse four. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is important. Again, so much to cover. But when you see these questions, this reminds you, um, I think, of Adam, right, in the garden. He's he's asking uh, Adam a question, not because he doesn't know the answer, but he he wants Adam to see that, that he's separated from God. The fellowship has been broken. And so God is asking Jonah a question. And, then, and, and we, we see when God is asking man questions in the text or throughout history in the word of God, we see that, that God is using it for the person to see their hearts so that they would be examined, right? The magnifying glass of God's all-seeing eye is piercing through them with questions. And then we see this in the life of Jesus as he asks questions to the religious leaders. Have you not read? Ouch. What do you mean, have we not read? We've memorized the book. Well, surely you haven't, right? And so he asks him this question. And again, everything God is doing, he's, he's, he's showing his compassion toward Jonah and Jonah ought to repent he ought to see his need for Christ and humble himself. Well, next we see God's compassion toward Jonah, verses 6 and following. Verses 6 and following, we see this word now. Right after Jonah sits outside of the city, Jonah knew about the holiness of God. And maybe these people would do something wrong. Maybe they don't repent as they ought to. And and Jonah's just getting a a good seat in the ballpark. Wants to see what God is doing. He doesn't want to be in, right? What what, what Jonah should have done, right? Is preach the word and stay there and disciple the people. Right? Jonah could have, you know, had had a little uh, place of worship and they could have learned the oracles of God. But Jonah goes outside of the city to see what God is going to do. Maybe he was even hoping, right? Hoping maybe, maybe, maybe they do something to mess it up. Although God is compassionate and he brings his wrath and Jonah says, see, I knew it. Although Jonah didn't want to go because he knew God was merciful and compassionate. So he's angry outside of the city and God is compassionate toward Jonah. Here we see God show compassion to Jonah in a way that we are not used to thinking about compassion. We tend to think of compassion solely from the perspective of sympathizing for a person who is hurting. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But here, God's compassion toward Jonah is more than just an emotional gesture. God is pressing Jonah, shaking Jonah, sanctifying Jonah, showing him his sin. 
And God is wanting to teach Jonah a lesson and anything less than giving him what he truly desires is showing him mercy or, or anything uh, giving him less than what he deserves, right? Jonah deserves to be in the same judgment category as the Ninevites prior to this message going forth. Jonah deserves to be separated from God. Jonah deserves not to hear from God anymore. And yet God shows compassion to Jonah. So God is wanting to teach Jonah a lesson. Look at verses 6 through 11. We see God's object lessons. God appointed, it says, in verse 6, a plant. We see God appointing a plant, a worm, and a wind. A plant, a worm, and a wind. And all these three object lessons were used by God to teach Jonah a lesson about his sinful heart before God. And God is being compassionate to Jonah by not giving him what he truly deserves. So look at verse 6. Now the Lord. And there's this back and forth between God and Jonah, right? So Jonah does this, okay. Now the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He appoints a plant. And he made it to cover up Jonah, to cover Jonah. See, Jonah is dependent on a covering. He needs a covering. Without this covering, we'll look at next, there's this this scorching wind or this scorching sun that he can't bear. And, And these are, you can't help but think that these are images, these are pictures in the New Testament that are pointing us to Christ. And how we need a covering for our sin. And we need something that will not be struck down. Something that will not fade away. Something that is unshakable. Something that is immovable. We need God to die and raise from the grave. And we need God to do it for us. Or we would be toast. Right? We would, we, we, would, we would literally, not, the, not in this case, Jonah's being burned by the sun. We would literally burn by the wrath of God being poured out on us. And yet Christ bears that on himself in the word of God. And so God appointed a plant. And this was the second time in the book that Jonah expressed a different emotion other than disobedience and rebellion toward God. You remember the first time Jonah expressed his thankfulness and he, he, he rejoices, right? He shows a, a, a rejoiceful emotion. And when was the first time we see this? This is in uh, chapter one, verse nine. Chapter two, verse nine. Chapter two, verse nine, right after he was in the great fish. What does Jonah say? But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. Jonah is praising God, right? This is the first time we see Jonah praising God. The second time we see him praising God is here in our text, chapter 4. In verse 6, he appointed the plant to cover him up that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And Jonah was exceedingly glad because of this plant. So here in verse 6, he's exceedingly glad. Jonah was not exceedingly glad because God's will was being done in saving the Ninevites. Jonah was not exceedingly glad because 
these one-time pagan sinners were now being engrafted into the vine. Instead, he was exceedingly glad because his physical needs were now being met. And God, knowing that Jonah's heart was still not in the right place, he gives him another object lesson to get Jonah's attention. Look at verse 7. Not only does God appoint the plant, but in verse 7, God appoints a worm. This is an interesting study when you look at uh, throughout the Bible. This is a judgment. Jonah's receiving a judgment from God with this worm. Anywhere you look throughout the scripture, the worm signifies a form of judgment on an individual. God is, Jonah, you're displeased with me? No, I'm displeased with you. He said, Jonah, don't forget that there's an eternal distinction between you and I. In your flesh, you're angry because I messed up your day. But Jonah, I'm against you when you're acting this way. See, we tend to forget that because God is so compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, that he never gets angry, that he's never displeased. But if God is holy, how could he never be angry? How could he never be displeased? And he shows this to his servant here. Jonah, I'm the one who gives. I'm the one who takes away. I give you the plant and I also give you the worm. And we see this all throughout scripture. In both the Old and the New Testament, the worm represented a kind of judgment. This word in the English translation appears about 16 times, give or take your translation. And so what we see God doing here is judging Jonah. And something that we need to notice here is that this plant did not belong to Jonah, but it belonged to God. How, how, how can we claim rights over God's property? It's his. And because the plan belonged to God and God had the right to do with it what he desired, he took it away. And rather than express anger toward God for the removal of the plan, Jonah should have uttered the same words that Job uttered when he was being afflicted by God. The words of Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah, Jonah missed another opportunity to examine his heart and humble himself before the Lord. So God gives him one more object lesson. Verse 8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. The so that is to show you how, how much and how long the sun was beating on Jonah's head. And he was faint. Do you remember the last time God spoke to Jonah through the wind? This is back in chapter 1, verse 4. In chapter 1, verse 4, God spoke to him about uh, his, his unwillingness to do what God called him to do. In verse 4, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Again, God called nature to do his bidding in discipling or disciplining his servant. And hardship after hardship, God is seeking to get Jonah's attention. Jonah had put his trust in the plant to cover him from the heat of the sun. And when God took away his blessing, Jonah failed to see that his sinful heart toward God was the problem and not God. 
And we've always got to be examining our hearts in these matters, right? We have a bad day. We get resentful at God. Things don't go the way we plan them. We get angry with God. We need to examine our hearts. We're not the master. We're the servants. We're dependent on him. And God is in control of all things. And so we humbly submit to his will. And, and whether we believe it or not, we have to preach to our souls that God is good and he's for us and he's not against us. Because if you don't have that foundation, you're going to interpret what you feel and what you see and it's going to alter who God is in your mind. So we have to go back to God. This is what you said. This is how you revealed yourself. This is who you are. I will believe it in spite of what I feel, in spite of what I see, in spite of what I'm being told. You are unchanging in all your ways. And so... The very thing that God, the very thing that Jonah was putting his hope in was taken away at once. And God did this so that Jonah would turn from his sin. What would Jonah's response be? Or what should have been Jonah's response? Jonah should have admitted his wrong. He should have confessed his pride. And instead, Jonah asked God to take his life. Again, in verse 8, it would be better for you. It would be better for me, God, to die than to live. God, all right, you want to save those people and give them life? Then take my life. Jonah wants to be a sacrifice. Jonah, there's already a sacrifice. And it, it, it's interesting, right? When, when we want to, uh, when, we, when we recognize that we're dependent on another, we, we want to be the one that sacrifices ourselves instead. God didn't need a human sacrifice. God already provided the sacrifice in himself. And so Jonah, I'm not going to take your life, but I'm going to shake it up. And here we are at the end of the book and God has one more thing to say to Jonah and he makes his point in the form of a question. Look at verses 10 and 11. Well, let me go back, verse nine. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Another question. And he said, yes, in fact, I do. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. If you have small children, this is what you call a tantrum. Right? Jonah is a little child. He thinks he knows better. And he's angry because he didn't get his way, so he's picking up his toys and he's demanding that his life be taken. This is a, by way of encouragement, brothers and sisters. Because God holds our life, we will not have it taken from us unless it be his will. That God will sustain us and keep us until it is time and his providential timetable to take us home. Not a minute sooner, not a moment later. And so we can live confidently at our workplaces. In spite of what we hear from the media, in spite of what we hear from our friends, in spite of our internal fears and security or insecurities, your life is in the hands of the master. And your actions will never mess up his plans. Ever. So Edwin, you don't understand. I went in the opposite direction as far as you can go from God's plan, from God's will. So did Jonah. 
And all the while, God orchestrated that his will be done in the life of Jonah. Verses 10 and following, we see the Lord said, he gives him one more lesson. He gives him one more opportunity to see his own sin. He says in verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Here again, we have this this picture of God being sovereign over nature. Remember in Genesis, God speaks ex nihilo and everything comes to pass. God spoke this plant into existence and it obeyed and grew. And God spoke this worm into existence to remove the plant. And so, so Jonah, you're upset. You didn't do anything to provide for this plant. It was all my work. And you're angry about that? You, you're showing pity toward the plant? Which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And then verse 11. And should I not pity, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And, and, and also much cattle. In other words, these are like little children. They don't even, they, 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 they stumble in the dark. They don't know their way. Should I not have pity and compassion and be merciful to this great city? This great city uh, is a reference to, to God setting his love upon them. These people are, are great because they're mine. And, I, and I've displayed this in sending you to proclaim my message to them. So, so God has, in his plan, chosen to save Nineveh, and, and you're fighting against my will, and you're fighting, similar to Paul. Remember, Paul is going to persecute the church, and God humbles him. Jonah, you're fighting against my will for people who have received mercy and compassion just like you. This may have been the last time that God has spoken to Jonah. There's no other section of scripture where God speaks to Jonah. There's references to Jonah and examples that we learn in the life of Jonah. But this may have been, notice, this is very important. Notice that the book ends with a question. (laughs) You think about that. Someone asks you a question. The answer is implied in the question and walks away and doesn't give you the answer. You think about how that may have drove Jonah mad, right? Jonah, you pity the plant. I could imagine Jonah, uh, after the mission trip was over, he comes back. Maybe he's being berated by his fellow uh, uh, brethren and saying, you you went, (laughs) look at you, you went to the Gentiles to preach? Or, Or how could you? And they ridicule him. And Jonah's thinking, God, he's asking himself, Lord, uh, do I pity the plant? You know, he's just walking around thinking to himself, what, what, what was God doing? God, what, why did you do that? Why, why did it have to be me? How many nights was Jonah awake thinking about those questions in his head? I'm sure there were times that Jonah would be caught talking to himself underneath his breath. He would be silently answering the questions that God had left him with in his earlier years. Now, lest we think 
that we are better than Jonah, does not God's questions to him ring true in our own lives today? Are there not things and possessions that we pity more than the souls of men? If we were honest with ourselves this morning before God, many of us are more bothered by being inconvenienced for a moment than we are by winning souls for the Lord. And Jonah's thinking about these questions in his head. And if our hearts are in this condition where, where we pity stuff more than what God pities, then we need to repent. And this morning, if you find yourself in this condition, we pray and I pray for myself and all of us that God bring us back to the place where we run to him as our first love. Now, by way of application, let us see the example of Jesus Christ. Unlike Jonah, Jesus humbled himself and willingly took on the form of a servant. Unlike Jonah, Jesus obediently preached the message of repentance to sinners, while Jonah reluctantly and unwillingly preached to sinners in his day. Not only that, Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice, a sacrificial offering on behalf of those sinners, that his father who called him would be glorified. While Jonah pitied the plant, Jesus pitied sinners. While Jonah sat outside the city to see what would happen to the Ninevites, Jesus sat outside the city of Jerusalem weeping over it. The book of Jonah teaches us that God is relentless to save sinners. All that the Father gave the Son will never be lost. All of God's elect will be drawn to Christ and the means will be through the preaching of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. The same gospel that was powerful enough to save us is powerful enough to save the most unsavable person you can imagine in your mind. Nothing is impossible for God. With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. His name will be exalted in the nations and people will come to know him through the preaching of the gospel. And there is a dying to self that must take place in our lives as we have been commissioned to go forward similarly to Jonah and preach the gospel. The only question that remains is this. Will we be willing participants in this blessing? See, God's will will be done. God's gospel will reach the nations. God will change the heart of sinners. But will we be like Jonah and do what God called us to do reluctantly or will we do it willfully and joyfully in reverence and praise to him? As we close, I want to read a quote by Sinclair Ferguson in his commentary on the book of Jonah. May we examine our hearts. Do we care more about the items in our gardens, the produce of the fields, the, the, the produce of our fields, um, or perhaps the contents of our garage or home 
than we do about our fellow men and women and the spread of the gospel to them? Do we care more in the last analysis about our own comforts and plans than about the evangelism of the world in our time? The statistics of our giving or praying or going in the cause of Christ throughout the earth provide embarrassing reading to the church. They raise very real questions about whether we have begun to rid ourselves of the Jonah syndrome. Our Lord has commanded us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Mark 16, 15. Do we respond to his command as Jonah did? Are we angry inwardly that God should impose upon us such a burden? If God is concerned, can we remain unconcerned? Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, I pray that that is not our heart. God has called us for his glory, has commissioned us for his glory, and he will be glorified in the repentance of sinners as the word of God, the gospel, which is the power of God, will save sinners. May we participate in that glorious fellowship with God in the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. We thank you for this beautiful, glorious gospel given to us by a merciful, compassionate, slow to anger God. We thank you, Lord, that your will was done in the life of Jonah. We thank you, Lord, for the example that you've set before us, for us to examine our hearts and see how and if we are acting like Jonah at times in our lives. If we're honest, Lord, all of us have fallen short. And yet, Lord, we know that there's no condemnation but if there be conviction this morning, God, in your people, we pray that you would stir us up to do what you've called us to do, that we would play our part in the place that you've put us and be faithful to the teaching and preaching of your word as we make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, knowing that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you, Jesus. And we want to be obedient to that great commission that you gave to the disciples and to us. We want to be faithful to teach all that you have commanded from the word of God. We can only do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you help us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.